this is a real story. Christmas is a real story. And not only is it a real story, but it's our story. That's the title of this message. Christmas. It really is our story. There's stories of highs and lows. There's a story of a marriage on the rocks because of an unexpected pregnancy. A story of, of a destitute couple having to make their way to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And then to Egypt and back. It's a story of both death and life. Anxiety, fear, but also joy and hope. It's a real story. And it really is our story too. Um, there are three things uh, that I see in this story that I want to bring out here today. Three things in particular that I want us to focus on. And this is simple. This is nothing profound whatsoever. But uh, three things that would make, uh, that, that will hopefully bring you some identification with the Christmas story. And they are these. First, it's about a broken marriage. Second, it's about a bankruptcy. And third, it's about death. Broken marriage, bankruptcy, and death. You might think, oh, I don't remember seeing those things in the, in the Christmas story. I want to show them to you today. You see, first, before I do, in my family, uh, many of you know, uh, there have been some uh, breaking marriages in my family this past year. As I said, I've been reading the Christmas story through different eyes. And as I read it this time, I saw a marriage on the brink. And the reason I could see it so clearly is because I, I know in my own family we're going through some of this turmoil. Um, some, some of the marriages in my family are suffering, at least two of them, maybe more, uh, suffering badly. And as a pastor, I look and see other marriages and I'm, uh, knowledge, I have knowledge of other situations where marriages are hurting or uh, suffering. And just about when I'm ready to give up hope, I came across the Christmas story. I came across Joseph and Mary, and I think we forget that this was a real marriage, or I should say engagement at the time, a real engagement, a courtship with real issues taking place. Those issues began when an angel came to Mary and said this in Luke 1.26 and following. The angel appeared to Mary. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled. It is saying, and consider what manner of greeting this was. Verse 30, Then the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and he sh and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there'll be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how? How can this be since I don't know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. And the angel departed. 
Ladies, ladies, imagine that you were engaged to be married. And you had to tell your fiancé that you were pregnant. Oh, it's not what you think, Joseph. It's not what you think. You see, I'm pregnant by means of the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine what real fear and anxiety, that anxiousness that must have given to her as she began that conversation with Joseph? Could you imagine going up to your fiancé and saying, I'm pregnant, it's not yours, but it's not what you think. It's from the Lord. A real courtship, a real engagement with real issues right there. We know what it's like in our culture for someone uh, to get pregnant out of wedlock. It's not always frowned upon in our culture for that matter. But in the Christian church, we'd like to elevate the principle that, that having children is under the covenant of marriage and for marriage. And when there's a, a child, a pregnancy out of wedlock, the church has to deal with that. And it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And it can be hard for a community to, to rally around, but we ought to and we should. And we ought to give them our support in any, any time that would happen. And I, I know that this church would be a church that would lavish support upon a couple whom that had happened to. But here, in the first century, in first century Israel, with this taking place, beyond unacceptable. Beyond unacceptable. And for Mary to have to go to Joseph and say, hey, I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think, it's from the Lord. For Joseph to, to not know yet what had happened, what an unreal moment as they approached marriage. This is a story about a broken marriage on your outline. It's a story about a broken marriage. Were you to turn over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, you would see Joseph's response. What did it say in Matthew 1? It said that Joseph wanted to do what? Put her away. Put her away secretly. Why? He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. In fact, in some respects, he had a right to call for the community and to stone her right then and there. To stone his fiance. But he didn't. He was a just man, Matthew writes. Guys, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. Your bride to be is with child, and you know it's not yours. You love her, but her story seems, well, it seems crazy. And you don't want to marry a crazy person, so you're a nice guy, but you know, you decide to put her away. Put her aside and do it quietly. Only to have an angel show up that night. And the angel says, no, 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 wait. That baby in Mary's tummy, that is conceived of the Holy Spirit, just as she said. I don't know of any marriage, any marriage that has begun like this one. Could you imagine the whispers in the community? Oh, she's pregnant. And they're not married yet. What do you mean it's not yours, Joseph? Oh, an angel. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. This happened. It happened with Mary. It happened with Joseph. It happened in their community. The whispers, the embarrassment, the shame, the humiliation. And yet Mary and Joseph, in the end, they knew 
what they had seen and what they had heard. We know what happened in the way that, it, in the manner that it did in that community, because we know what would happen in our community. And I don't know how they did it. I, I, I was reading it again and again, and considering the decisions made between the two of them, and, and trying to put myself in their shoes. I don't know how to do it other than to say the Lord was with them. The Holy Spirit of God was with them, and they were convinced by the angel's message that this was right for them to stay together. For them to take this journey, despite the fact that everyone around them thought they were crazy. And I say to myself, if they can make it, if that marriage can make it, Mary, likely a teenager, Joseph, likely not much older, if that marriage can make it, then so can yours. Amen? So can yours. And I look at the marriages in my family right now, the breaking ones, and I say, there's hope. And I know of some of the marriages in this church and of people in the community, and I say, there's hope. If a teenage Mary and a Joseph not much older can make it through this moment, this real story, then you can too. Don't tell me it can't be done. If there was ever a couple who should have felt defeated, it was Joseph and Mary. This Christmas, I urge you to restore your marriage. Take a lesson from two teenagers who put aside guilt, embarrassment, whispers, and shame and said, as God is my witness, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. A broken marriage. It's a real story. But it's not just a broken marriage. It was also a bankruptcy. I have family also this past year who have dealt with bankruptcy. I'm sure you could probably say the same about your family. Some of your friends gone through foreclosure, lost a home, lost a car, defaulted on a loan, not making ends meet. There's, enough, there's too much month left for the money to cover. I think every single one of us can understand what it means to be broken financially. And just about when we're ready to give up hope, we look at the Christmas story. And what do we see? Well, we see something peculiar. I want to point it out first from the Old Testament and then relating it to the New. Look at Leviticus chapter 12. The Law of Moses says this, when the days of her purification, that is a woman who had just given birth, when the days of her purification are fulfilled, she shall bring to a priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. You might be wondering, well, why is this significant? Turn over to Luke chapter 2. I don't have it with me. Luke chapter 2 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2. It's significant because of what Mary gives in the temple for her purification. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, this is what it says. Now when the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. As it is written, the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves 
or two young pigeons. You see, Luke was being gracious. Luke was being gracious to Joseph and Mary. He was only quoting the portion of Leviticus in which he knew they themselves had given. He could have quoted all of Leviticus here. But instead, Luke wanted to show graciousness to Joseph and Mary and not bring up the fact that they did not offer a lamb. They didn't offer a lamb when they came to the temple. Why? Because they didn't have any money. They had no money. And so the law of Moses gave a provision. And it said, okay, if you cannot bring a lamb, then bring two turtle doves. Two pigeons. And that's precisely what Mary brought. We know from the Word of God. They were destitute. They had traveled from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem for a census. And not only that, when they got there, something else happened. Not many days after they had arrived, an angel appeared to Joseph. And what did he say? Matthew 2, verse 13 to 15. When the wise men had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, Joseph took the young child and Mary by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now there's one very important, there's one very important theological point about this portion of Scripture in Matthew 2. And you know what it is? Joseph and Mary did not own a car. Really. Bethlehem in Israel, all the way to Egypt, nearly 300 miles. You might say, well, 300 miles? I can do that in a day. Yeah, that's because you're not riding a donkey. If you're riding a donkey, it takes about two weeks to get there. And a woman with a newborn child might take three weeks, four weeks. The journey that the angel is calling Joseph to take, to take his young wife and his newborn child, and to go from Bethlehem all the way to Egypt is beyond comprehension. To put it in modern terms, if you were to drive 300 miles at a time over a two-week period, you would be in Bogota, Colombia. Guys, Tonight, an angel of the Lord appears to you and says, Men, I need you to take your family, get on the road, and drive to Bogota. Are you ready to do that? Would you be financially ready for that? To go as a foreigner across many nations through turbulent roads to take your family to a new place where the Lord says He's going to protect you? Are you kidding? The trip to Egypt. No way. No way they could afford this trip. And yet God provided for them. A bankrupt, destitute couple. God provided for them just when they needed it. Matthew 2, verses 9-11. to Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, these are the wise men, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented, him, they presented gifts to him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
My wife has had a few baby showers, and I don't recall receiving any of those. Um, But maybe that was normal back then. No, it wasn't. These were fantastic gifts brought by men from the East who had seen the star, had come to worship Him. Friends, these gifts were used to allow Joseph and Mary to take a two or three week trip to Egypt to go to a foreign land where they could barely find any work, barely sustain themselves, just as you and I could scarcely go to Bogota, Colombia and make a living. They used these gifts given by the wise men, given through God's providence to them, just so they could continue on in their lives and protect the Christ child. God provides. God provides. Joseph and Mary, they didn't have anything. They brought two turtle doves, two pigeons to the temple. They couldn't make the trip to Egypt, so they used the gifts that the wise men gave them to make it possible. And I say to you, if you're going through bankruptcy, foreclosure, money's tight, the Christmas story is real. It's not just a story in the book, it's our story. And it's a story of God's provision. He took their marriage, a marriage that by all accounts should have been wasted from the onset, and He held it together. He can hold your marriage together. He took a couple who didn't have any money, any means to do, to take these trips, to go on these journeys, and He provided for them. They had enough food on their plate. They had a roof over their head, sometimes in a manger. But He never abandoned them. And He'll never abandon us. Lastly, in the story of Christmas, I see death. Um, And in my family, I see a lot of death. Um, This year alone, uh, I lost three people in my family. My dad's brother, um, a cousin, a step-cousin, and uh, an aunt. Tragic, tragic deaths, all of them. Um, Two of them suicides. And uh, just beyond comprehension, I just, I just, I'm sitting back and I'm saying, okay, what's next? It's just remarkable the amount of uh, suffering. And I know many of you have have dealt with death in your family or friends, loved ones that you care for, who have died prematurely, unnecessarily, and just when we're about to give up hope comes the Christmas story. And I see what Herod did in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, it says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all of its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. And you know, I've never heard anyone consider this. I've never read this anywhere. But the thought occurred to me, going through my own experience, and dealing with family members who many of whom are saying are dealing with tremendous guilt right now, 
tremendous regrets, asking the questions, what could I have done? What could I have, how could I have intervened? How could I have stopped this? So many of my family are asking those questions. And it never occurred to me until now to look at this story through the lens of Joseph and Mary. Think about it. They had just left Bethlehem. And they're traveling slowly. Probably on a donkey. And they're traveling to Egypt and it's a two or three week journey. And as they're traveling, people are passing by them on the road. And they're catching wind of what's just happened in Bethlehem. Hundreds, if not thousands, of baby boys have been slaughtered. And they're hearing this news from travelers passing by. They would have instinctively known why Herod had given the order to kill the sons of Israel. They would have instinctively known it was because Herod was trying to kill their son. Can you imagine the guilt they must have felt? Thousands of boys, babies, are dead because of my son. Thousands of parents are crying out this night for the murder of their baby all because my son was born. I imagine Joseph and Mary must have felt helpless. Wanting to do something, but how could they? If they returned, Jesus would be killed as well. And the deaths of all those children would be in vain. So they did all that they could do. They protected the child. They kept him safe. They raised him. And as Luke wrote, the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And soon, soon, it took time. But soon, Joseph and Mary would soon learn that the life of their son was worth the death of a thousand innocents. Because their son would one day raise those same children to life along with all those who believe in His name. No one, in, uh, no one in my family can bring back those that we've lost. Can't do it. But one thing we can do is remind our loved ones that our living Lord is more powerful than a thousand deaths. That our God is in the business of erasing death. And as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And I say to my family, if God should permit any of them to hear this message, that hope from death is only found in Jesus. The relativism of this world, the universalist philosophies, they are empty. And they are what lead to death. And so those philosophies cannot help anyone coping with death. There's only one who can help with death. And it's Jesus Christ, the Lord. Salvation, the hope of heaven, they are only found by believing in Him for everlasting life. All these things, broken marriages, bankruptcy, death, all of these things are hitting my family this year. Many of them have probably hit yours. This past month, past month has been very, very difficult. Uh, this past year has been very, very difficult and has only been in this past month 
that I've really started to find some healing myself. For a long while, I was holding on so tightly to these traumatic events, trying to insert myself into solving the problems. But it's not my place to fix marriages. It's not my place to uh, solve bankruptcies. And I certainly don't do a very good job of bringing people back from the dead. But one thing I know I can do, I can point people in the right direction. And today, as we begin the Advent season, my message to you is very, very simple. The Christmas story is your story. It's my story. Broken marriages, destitute, death. It's our story. It's not just words on a page. It's a story of redemption. I know it's a story of redemption because I saw what God did with it. And so if I see what God did with Joseph and Mary, a marriage that shouldn't have lasted, a couple that had no money, dealing with the death of thousands because of their baby boy, and God used all of it and brought hope in life. And so I look at that and say, if He can do that there, then surely He can do that here. Joseph and Mary experienced it all, but they also carried in their arms the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And when we look at Him, all the darkness fades. I was putting uh, lights on the, the house the other day. Men, how many of you have been putting lights on the house? Two of you. That's shameful. <laughs> Ladies, I want you to go like this right now, okay? I want more lights on the house. Tom? Bring it. Alright. More lights, guys. Listen, I was putting lights on the house and I, I couldn't stand it. Uh, I was grumpy. I was tired. I was hungry. I, I had more sermon prep to do. And I was just thinking of all the many reasons why I did not want to put lights on the house. And yet, in all of that darkness, when we walked outside and I held my kids with my wife, and we saw the house all lit up. It was all worth it. It's funny. The light always penetrates the darkness. It always penetrates the darkness. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He always penetrates the darkness. Christmas is not just a story on a page. It's our story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, it's, uh, it's good to enter into this season of the year. And Lord, we, we approach it, all of us, differently. Some of us are joyful and expectant. Others of us are at times even depressed and anxious. We have a range of emotions, Lord. We're all coming from different backgrounds different life experiences. We're all going through different things. But Lord, there's one thing we have in common and it is You. And it is the birth of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And amidst all the darkness, we know that the light will penetrate it. I pray, Father, that Jesus Christ would be vivid in our lives, in our families' lives this season. 
That we would not let broken marriages, destitute situations, even death, cloud our hope. But that we would look to the one Son of God who brings us everlasting life, everlasting joy, and eternal hope. We pray these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.